The Athletic. It's straight out of Cobham, the Edward Mendy appreciation special. On today's pod, Mendy saves the day at Brentford. Chelsea's makeshift defence withstand B's battering. We look ahead to match day three in the Champions League and round up the rest of the Chelsea news. Available for free wherever you get your podcasts and ad-free on The Athletic, this is Straight Outta Cobham. Here we go then, gang. The start of another busy week in the world of Chelsea FC. Joining me, Matt Davis-Adams, to talk through it all are two of The Athletic's finest. Hi, Dominic Fifield. Good morning, Matt. How are you? I'm all right, thank you. How are you, Liam Doomey? In fatherhood, as in football, sometimes surviving is victory. I'm yeah, good, Matt. Absolutely. Um, Liam's got a special guest star next to him. We're not expecting too much insight from what now three-week-old Ophelia, but you never know. There might be there might be a pretty incisive sneeze at some point. I bet she knows how to use Wisecout more than I do. <laughs> <laughs> we'll await those contributions as the pod goes on. Uh, we know where we're starting today, though. Let's go west, London. Aspilicueta in towards Lukaku, trying to hook it goal with Chilwell! Can't hit them better than that! And that's a goal right on the stroke of half-time for Chelsea. For a pinpoint cross, it comes all the way through and a chance with the Ove, what a save! That is sensational from Edouard Mendy. We were under a lot of pressure and uh, it was in, uh, in, in, uh, it was super important in the last 20 minutes and we were lucky of course. He has been... A wall in that goal. Brentford nil, Chelsea won then in a real tea time treat for the neutral and a heart stopper for anyone with blue blood as Tuchel's team returned to the top of the Premier League after a backs to the wall effort in the second half. Uh, Dom, you're on duty at the Brentford Community Stadium for the Athletic. Was it was it your first visit to the stadium? Not my first visit to the stadium, but the first for a game. Um, and it's uh, it's splendid. It's really, really good. Great atmosphere and uh, very compact. And uh, yeah, I mean, you don't get an awful lot of away support in there. 1,600 Chelsea supporters in the ground, but um, they made a good noise. The home support were excellent. And it was a, I thought it was a thoroughly entertaining occasion. Yeah, it was an entertaining occasion. And then I look at the stats and see that Chelsea had one shot on target, which would perhaps, you know, if you're just looking at that cold, make you think, hmm, maybe it wasn't. But it was kind of frenetic and Chelsea really what they did better than anything else was, was withstand that freneticism, if that's even the word, particularly as the, as the second half went on. Well, I mean, look, it's you could split it into two sections of the game. The first 73 minutes where Chelsea, I think, were the dominant team. They were, they felt as if they were in control. Um, they had the the best outfield player on the pitch during that period in Ruben Loftus-Cheek. He was absolutely dictating play, um, holding sway in in the centre of midfield. And they probably posed, yeah, they felt as if they posed more of a, a threat. But it was that 17 minutes at the end completely changed the complexion of and our impression of, of the match. Um, because Brentford started doing things that they hadn't previously been doing. They they brought on a player to sit on Ruben Loftus-Cheek in, in, in Marcus Force. And, and to be honest, I mean, even even Loftus-Cheek's game disintegrated to a certain extent in, that, in the last 17 minutes plus stoppage time. And that sort of typified everything that happened to, to Chelsea. It became a, a survival job, basically, just get through this somehow. And, 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 you know, a lot of their players, outfield players, looked 
pretty dazed and confused as to what was happening to them. The, these crosses and throws flying into the penalty area across the box. They they all seem to be slightly off the pace. So that they'd be they sort of watch the flight of the ball spin round, and by the time they spun round, the ball was going back the other way, and and they were constantly, constantly just slightly off. But thankfully, they had in Edward Mendy the outstanding performer on the day because uh, because I still have no idea really how somebody he pulled off some of those saves late on I mean he he was he was superb and and ultimately that's what what earned Chelsea their very 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 hard-fought victory yeah it was almost written in the stars that Simon and Mark Carey had teamed up for a piece on Mendy ahead of the game it's titled Edward Mendy the goalkeeper nobody talks about uh, that's probably changed now. Liam, we've had a tweet from Garrett asking, how did no one know about Mendy? Well, I guess the answer to that is that, that Petr Cech did. And, and that, that's the key thing here. He was the he was the driving force in, in bringing him to the club in the first place. Yeah, and I think it's quite heartening, isn't it? That even now it's possible to find a player in one of Europe's five major leagues um, that isn't particularly heralded and kind of mid-career, but still has this extra level to go to I think that that's the kind of tantalising element isn't it of football transfers the idea that you can find a player like Mendy um, that, that other people have overlooked and and clubs of Chelsea size don't often do that they generally pay top dollar for what they think is the the the, the proven quantity of course that didn't work out so well with Kepa um, but I want to say something about Mendy because we, we've gotten a little bit of criticism on The Athletic as well because um we did a series of pieces a, a, a few months ago where club writers put forward like, you know, best goalkeeper in the Premier League, best defender, best midfielder. Mendy wasn't in the goalkeeper discussion and we talked about it and we didn't we didn't put him forward because we put Chelsea forward for every other area of their team. Um, but looking at like the inv- advanced stats last season, Mendy wasn't actually any more than solid and the reason why Chelsea were such a brilliant defensive team was that he didn't have to be anything more than solid. He was so well protected. How many games like this one can you remember him having? He he only really had to make one save um, per game. And I think maybe if there's if there's kind of a hidden negative in this win over Brentford, it's that he had to do so much and he had to show how good he is. Um because Chelsea haven't often been in that level of discomfort under Thomas Tuchel and part of that might have been I'm sure we'll go on to you know the change in defensive personnel lack of familiarity just after an international break as Tuchel said um, but they it's something they need to sort out because while Mendy was brilliant um, he shouldn't have to be brilliant for Chelsea to win games uh, some dope on this podcast said a couple of weeks ago that Kepa would be first choice for Chelsea next season. I'd like to withdraw that comment uh, at the moment, I think. Uh, let's talk about the defence then, Dom, because it certainly wasn't first choice. Andreas Christensen, the senior member of that back three, but it was Malang Sa who was the focus of your post-match piece for The Athletic. He'll remember his Premier League debut for some time to come, I think, specifically the last 20 minutes thereof. He was he was pretty sure-footed in the first half, certainly, but goodness me, they asked him some questions as the game went on. Yeah, I, just, I should preface this with, um, obviously, Mendy was the theme that people looked at largely on Saturday night and Sunday morning. Um, you could equally have done pieces on Loftus-Cheek and on 
the lack of service to Lukaku, but it just so happens that Simon, bless him, had written all those pieces last week, which rather left options slim for <laughs> Monday morning's piece on the Athletic. But but Saar was, yeah, was an interesting case in point because that was his first taste of Premier League football. Uh, he is a he's a 22 year old player with he's got a hundred league un games under his belt so he's no novice he's 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 got experience he's a player of clearly considerable talent however it didn't really work out for him ultimately at Porto last season on loan he ended that season with eight appearances in their B team from from March onwards which they they were struggling against relegation in the second division so it's not you know that that didn't bode well for for him hitting the ground running necessarily in the Premier League this season and for for Chelsea to go into this game with two of their three centre halves boasting four Premier League appearances between them um, and all from Trevor Chaloba this season, um, you would expect them to be tested at some stage, and it's to their both of their credits and to Christensen who was excellent as well that for the first seventy three minutes on Saturday. It didn't look as if these were novices. They didn't look as if they were guys that, that hadn't experienced life at this level before, particularly. But my word, yeah, the last 17 minutes plus six of, of stoppage time. I, I went back over it on Saturday night when I got in and, and, and watched that period again. Because your instinct is to say, well, you look at the stats, the bare stats, nobody made more interceptions and clearances than Malang Sar did. And you think, well, he obviously did really well then. He's got a clean sheet on his Premier League debut. He's, it's uh, The gamble has paid off. But I have no idea how he survived that last 17 minutes because he, he was lost. Um, he wasn't alone. He, a lot of the players in that back line struggled. I thought Chilwell, actually, his performance disintegrated as well in the last 17 minutes. Um, when Brentford started putting players on that side and, and Godos came on, I think, I think about 71. 70, actually, in fact, it was, he came on. Saar heads the ball out on 71 minutes and then play resumes on 73 minutes with Godos on the pitch and they made the substitution in that time. And from that moment on, it was just chaos, absolute chaos. He was running in between. They had Janssen playing up front, Pontus Janssen, and, and pinning Saar at virtually every set piece and bearing in mind that Zanka must have had about 15 long throws into the box in that last 17 minutes. Saar and, and, and Janssen were, were pretty well acquainted by the end of the end of the game, to the extent that Janssen was actually pushing Saar off the ball, thrusting him off the ball, shoving him here, pushing him there, bullying him, basically. And for him to actually emerge from that, yeah, he does deserve credit. He, 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 the last action of the game proper is him getting in front of, uh, I think it's Ivan Tony and, and nodding the ball out of play for another throw. But it's 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 him putting himself about, and he was dazed and confused. They were all dazed and confused, but he kept some level of composure in there and played his part in what ended up as a an unbelievably good rear guard just to survive because. Brentford were outstanding for that last 17 minutes. Uh, here's P. George Jr. tweeting to say, big shout out to Malang Sar and to Thomas Tuchel for trusting in squad players to come in and get the job done. Ruben Loftus-Cheek in central midfield 
also worth a mention. Uh, on the first point, Liam, I mean, Thomas Tuchel didn't really have much choice, did he? They, they were the players that were available with him, hence why they lined up, I guess. I mean, I suppose he could have started Reese James and moved Aspilicueta into into the centre of defence. But but on Loftus-Cheek, this is absolutely incredible, isn't it? Something that, that I think, if we're honest, none of us saw coming when Chelsea were struggling to get a, a taker for him, even to have him on loan for, for half a season. And now... I'm not saying he's undroppable, but but he's certainly somebody you think is going to be starting the next run of games based on the performances that he's put in over the last couple of weeks. Yeah, it's an awesome story. And, you know, with Loftus-Cheek more than maybe any other player, I'm wary of getting too far ahead of ourselves because I, I'm just really hoping there isn't an injury at some point soon. He He really needs just some time to build momentum and confidence but you can see how he's looking on the pitch he's he's looking like the loftus cheek that you know people in Chelsea's academy and various first, first team coaches at Chelsea believed he could be um and what he's actually getting under Tuchel which is something that he hasn't necessarily had under previous coaches is the trust to play a little bit deeper in midfield previous Chelsea coaches always put, I know Conte tried to tell us he was a forward um you know, Mourinho would only play him as a number 10. No one's ever really tried to play him either at the base of midfield or in a sort of deeper midfield three. Um, and at Sarri, he 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 briefly played sort of box-to-box number eight and that was his best stretch of football in in a Chelsea shirt. So we've seen what he can do and there, and there were really encouraging flashes in that Brentford game, particularly early on, of him getting the ball, jinking past players in tight spaces. He's got such great feet. Um, in in those in those small spaces and and just sort of gliding past people, um, it was just a shame for from Chelsea's perspective that it was Kovacic rather than him who ended up playing the final pass a lot of the time because Kovacic kept getting it wrong, uh, and that's not really his strength. But it's uh, it's really nice to see Loftus Cheek playing such a big role for Chelsea. I'm not sure Sal Niguez will be super pleased. Because um, it, it doesn't look great for him, and there's a broader question about the balance of Chelsea's midfield as well. If if they're going to start more games the way they did against Brentford, um, with kind of like two deeper midfielders and and Loftus Cheek as the most advanced, are you are you sacrificing more forwards, more more creators to get that sort of alignment? I think there are still things for Tuchel to think about in terms of the collective, but in terms of his individual performance. Loftus-Cheek's been great. I just really hope he keeps it up. He has been a wonderful story of late and he clearly does offer plenty in that deeper lying role, as as Liam says. The caveat is what happened in that last period because it wasn't a a massive tweak of imposed by by Thomas Frank to, to change things up. It probably did it a bit too late, if anything. But by putting a player on loftus Cheek. It sort of nullified him and it asked him to do things in, in that maybe don't come quite as naturally to, in his game. Um, so, you know, he, he's, I, th- I think he's still learning that, to be honest, that, that, that position and, and, and the hopefully the opportunities do come to continue that progression. No one want, wants him to succeed more than I do. I, I, I've always loved watching him play. I just think he's, a, as I've said too many times on this podcast, he's a Rolls Royce of a player when he... Uh, when he gets going and there's one run in particular in the first half from deep where he just glides away from people and, and that deceptive pace. I mean, Onyeka, for example, Onyeka's about seven foot six and, and 
he went he went and face to face with for a, on a challenge with Loftus Cheek and and it ended up with a five minute stoppage of play because Onyeka was on his back on the floor receiving treatment and it didn't look as if, I mean he didn't even flinch Loftus Cheek he's he's got everything the power the the poise um, and he can read a game superbly. He's he, I, It's just, I was slightly disconcerted by that last 17 minutes, as I think Chelsea were, um, and wonder whether uh, whether teams will have, will have taken a bit of that um, out of that Brentford performance and, and might use it against him in recent weeks, in, in, in the weeks to come. So he's got to learn from it and, and, and kick on again. Just to just to follow up on what Don was saying, far be it from me to question a coach that won the Champions League five months ago and is currently top of the Premier League. But <laughs> why didn't Tuchel bring Jorginho on yeah. for Kovacic? It just felt like the moment Kovacic went off, as Dom said, like Chelsea lost all semblance of control and they lost all ability to keep the ball. And you've probably got, you know, certainly one of the best midfielders in the world at doing that, sitting on the bench. You wouldn't have thought it would have been too stressful for him physically to come on for 17 minutes and just steady the ship a little bit. Um, Mason Mount was swamped, wasn't he? I mean, he, did, he didn't offer any kind of cover for Chilwell and and, Sa- and Saar on that left side either. He's just a he, he's a different kind of player, Mount, mm. in that he you know he's receiving the ball in in higher areas and playing higher risk passes. But if you've got Jorginho just sitting there trying to you know get Anyone remember the game against Crystal Palace, Dom? Um, I don't remember Lampard, that one, no. Towards the no. end of Lampard's full no. season. That didn't happen. Where he came on for Billy Gilmore and played about 15 passes in two minutes and just suddenly the whole cadence of the game yeah. changed. I'm not saying that would have happened against Brentford, but it might have been more difficult for Brentford to bring the storm as they did if Jorginho had been on there just helping Chelsea to keep the ball a little bit. Right, so we've done goalkeeper, defence and midfield, so we better get to, to Chelsea's attack, which continues to stutter, I think it's fair to say. Here's Ryan tweeting the show to ask the eternal question, what's the best attack combination play or style for Chelsea? Lukaku always marked by two defenders, Werner still trying to recover, Havertz, Mount, perhaps Callum. What do you think, Liam? Because the, the Lukaku thing's becoming an issue, isn't it? It is only in terms of... Um you know, the kind of collective combination. I don't think Lukaku individually is necessarily an issue. I think it's just finding the best way to, and I know Simon wrote about this recently, finding the best way to to put him in the best positions to succeed. I don't, the service to him against Brentford was never any, anything approaching good enough. Um, I think, you know, what we saw in the first couple of games against Arsenal and against Aston Villa, um, you know, where he was sort of getting the ball, pinning defenders getting the ball with defenders at his back, pinning them and, and these kind of footballing post-ups for you basketball fans out there. Um, teams that have, Chelsea have played since have taken that away just by putting midfielders in front of him and screening those passes. And it's, it's up to Chelsea to come up with slightly more sophisticated combinations and ways to get Lukaku involved. And I don't think they've done a good enough job of doing that yet. And that's that's maybe... You know, a problem with the the collective structure, but it's also a problem with how individuals are playing. I don't think any of Chelsea's other forwards. I think Werner's been good actually since he's come in, but he's he's always going to have his limitations in terms of link up play. He's not he's not that's not his his strength really. Um, but the likes of Havertz, Ziyech, Mount, 
Hudson Odoi hasn't really had too many opportunities in the forward line for one reason or another. None of those guys have really, you know, stamped their their authority on it and 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 really found a way to connect with Lukaku. And as long as that's the case, we're going to see more more performances like this. I thought that was the other main theme of Chelsea's performance beyond the final seventeen minutes. And something Tuchel didn't talk about quite as much was when they were on top for 73 minutes, why didn't they do more? I think their XG was 0.28. You know, they they just didn't threaten enough considering the, the sort of midfield control they had over the game. And against better teams, that will be punished. Uh, you can tick that off on your straight out of Cobham bingo card. Listener, there's Liam's XG mention for the day. Uh, here's off to Joe tweeting, Chelsea the first side from the capital to win seven consecutive away London derbies in English Football League history. The top of the Premier League, Dom, uh, they're going to be a force to be reckoned with when they start actually playing well. Well, I mean, that's said with tongue firmly in cheek, but the, that is the reality. I mean, that I don't think they've played brilliantly this at any point really this season. I mean, Arsenal away, but Arsenal were absolutely woeful that that day. Um, Palace maybe on the opening day, but Palace were absolutely woeful that day. Second half at Spurs, you could say the same about Tottenham, really. I mean, maybe Chelsea are making these teams look woeful, but it's it's it just feels like a work in progress. And my word, what to be able to to conduct a work in progress whilst top of the league is fairly impressive, and 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 shows the 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 strength in depth. Of options that that, that Tuchel has, they haven't had an easy run of games either. I mean, a lot of those matches are, uh, you know, are, are, are potential problems, and they've generally come through pretty well. So, so there's a lot to be encouraged about, um, and Tuchel will get it right. And we, there's nothing we we shouldn't be sitting here thinking that that he 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 reckons everything's rosy because he he won't. He's he's not looked satisfied at any point in any Chelsea game for a long time and he's constantly ranting and raving in the technical area he knows there are things that his team needs to do better he knows that he needs to find a better combination of players to operate with and behind Lukaku he he knows he needs you know his his center halves back most likely he needs he, he needs players to find rediscover their form um and to get that balance of the team right, and he he will get it right. It'll it'll be when when they are firing, as we've we've made the point in copy and on the podcast. When they are firing, they will look unstoppable. Um, but it's it's a matter of finding that combination from now. Well, as we mentioned, Chelsea are top of the Premier League table. The Blues welcome Norwich to Stamford Bridge in their next league assignment. Before that, though, there's a Champions League game to negotiate. We'll look ahead to that next. Match day three in Group H sees Chelsea welcome Malmo to Stamford Bridge. The reigning Swedish champions lead the way in the Allsvenskan, but they're 0-2 in the Champions League so far, having failed to score and conceded seven goals in their games against Juventus and Zenit. Uh, in terms of team news, Dom, I'm guessing Christian Pulisic will still be out. Tony Rudiger, maybe. Hakim Ziyech, maybe. But Thiago Silva will be out of quarantine by this point and, and therefore available for selection. I'd assume so, yeah. I, I mean, the initial last Friday when when Tuca was asked about about Thiago Silva, he actually implied that he he could play on Saturday technically, but then 
why would he given he, he he'd done 90 minutes for Brazil basically 36 hours before the game so so his return would have made it prob- problematic anyway in terms of the logistics of it all um but i'd expect him to to come back in um for this for this game this is this double header is is the the six points in the group that chelsea need just to you know restore a bit of normality to to their champions league qualification um they're there for the taking the swedes they they're not they won they won the swedish league easily last year um i think they're three teams joint top at the moment and in fact by the time people start listening to this it, it may be they've actually slipped a second in the table then they're, they're not uh, they're definitely the the group's whipping boys uh, and, and a, this is an opportunity for chelsea just to yeah to 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 pep a bit of confidence really i mean i don't want to don't want to suggest that there are very easy fixtures in champions league group stages but but there are very easy fixtures in champions league group stages and and this one should should be one of them so therefore liam do you give romelu lukaku a rest or do you play him and say play your way back into goal scoring form in this game there's an argument for either but given that we know Lukaku had muscle fatigue on international duty and then Tuchel explicitly said that he thought Lukaku looked tired towards the end of the Brentford game and that Lukaku's probably quite keen to try and compete for the Premier League golden boot this year I think there's a there's every reason to rest him for this Malmo game just leave him on the bench as an insurance policy he's there if you need him um, but maybe give Werner a bit more of a run and give some of your other attacking players a chance to play their way into form. It's not just Lukaku. You know, I think Havertz, Ziyech, Mount, Hudson-Odoi, they could all do with the opportunity to get some real rhythm in that front three or however way, whichever way Tuchel decides to to line up. They just need to to look a little bit more fluid in that half of the pitch, regardless of who's playing. And And even if Lukaku isn't on the pitch for that Malmo game, if the other players can build a bit more rhythm, that should benefit Lukaku when he comes back against Norwich. Would you expect to see a bit of experimentation maybe in terms of tactics as well, Dom? Or, or does does the fact that they lost against Juventus on match day two mean that this isn't really a time where you can be changing everything? And I know three five two hasn't exactly been a roaring success, but but we might see a switch back to three four three or something else for this game. I don't think there's an awful lot of difference between three four three and three five two really for for this. I mean, the, the radical change would be going for at the back, um, and and maybe that liberating players into different parts of the pitch. But it will really depend upon per- personnel, I guess, and, and availability, and and you know how the sports scientists have have, have deemed um, their recovery from international break and. And Saturday's fixture, um, I three four three for this. If, if you're not going to play Lukaku, you almost want to play a system whereby Lukaku can just slot back in on Saturday, and and there can be some kind of continuity there. So in that regard, three four three might be more sensible, unless you're. I mean, because if you if you if you're going to pursue the the two up top with Lukaku and and Werner, um. I suppose he could play. He could play Havertz as a nine alongside alongside Timo Werner if he wanted to in midweek. That 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 might work. But it, it, it's an interesting balance actually. How much pragmatism comes into it, and how much they just want to just get a, a nice, comfortable, um, 
thrashing under their belts or, or, or just a comfortable win under their belts where they where they play well and function well as a team and the approach play is good and the defence is solid. Um, I imagine that that will be the priority. So maybe given that they're playing, you know, the, the team that's currently bottom and, and winless in the in the Premier League on Saturday, maybe they can just look at Malmo as a one-off actually and just let's just get a win under our belts and get us playing a bit with a bit more verve and hopefully some of that momentum then goes into the weekend. If Tuchel really wants to experiment, he could dust off Lewis Baker Libero again, couldn't he? <laughs> <laughs> haven't seen that haven't seen that baby since pre-season. <laughs> uh, we'll mention him briefly, actually, in uh, in our Elsewhere in Chelsea news section, Lewis Baker. Um, of course, you get five subs in the Champions League, so I guess that, that allows more room for experimentation. Uh, in terms of the head-to-heads, the teams met in the knockout stages of the Europa League in 2019. Chelsea went through 5-1 on aggregate. Malmo managed by the Dane Yondal Thomason these days. He's faced Chelsea before as a player in the Champions League with Feyenoord back in 1999. Not too many standout names in the Malmo squad, although, of course, that doesn't apply to Bonke Innocent. Uh, I've got to say, as a commentator on this game, uh, I'm really dreading the fact that they've got <laughs> Anders Christiansen in their team as well, which feels to me like a mix-up waiting to happen. Ola Toivonen, somebody who listeners will be familiar with, I guess. But basically, Liam, what I'm saying is Chelsea should win this game pretty easily. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Um is there anything else to say? You can give me a prediction if you like. Amazed that Matt hasn't mentioned the Nottingham Forest yet and Malmo just just because you know I thought you had to mention Nottingham Forest whenever you mentioned. Malmo. Well, I was. I mean, I'm looking at Anal Amahodzic, the Bosnian defender who was signed from Nottingham Forest, of course. But what Dom is referencing is the 1979 European Cup final when Forest beat Malmo by a goal to nil. Listen, you might not know that it was only two years before that they were in the second division for it. So really extraordinary achievement thanks to uh, thanks to Trevor Francis's goal just before half-time in the Olympic Stadium in Munich. You know what to do, producer Lucy. Robertson, the first time we've seen them attack them and there's Francis! Well, that's what I wanted to see Robertson do. And Trevor Francis, the million-pound man, puts his name on the score sheet and returns a great deal of the check. Robertson, the first time he's attacked them, used his pace, a fine cross, and in comes Francis to break the deadlock. (laughs) (laughs) That's all getting chopped, absolutely. Uh, I'm saying 4-0, Liam. Can you offer me any advance on that? I don't know. I kind of feel like, you know, games like this, Champions League group games like this feel a bit sort of um, international qualifier-y. Could be it could be any score, but Chelsea Chelsea should be looking for as many goals as possible because, as we said, attacking rhythm has to be the priority. The defensive structure is working um, broadly, although it didn't. Seventeen minutes against Brentford, um, they know what they are as a team. They just need to get things rolling in an attacking sense. All right. Well, Chelsea versus Malmo gets underway at eight o'clock in the evening UK time on Wednesday, so we will of course be reacting to it on our Thursday pod.
Uh, elsewhere in Chelsea news, the women's team weren't in action this weekend due to the international break. Uh, there was good news for Chelsea's development squad, though. They made it two wins from their last two games after scoring twice without reply against Derby County at Kings Meadow. Frustrating game for long periods. Harvey Vale blazed a penalty over seven minutes from time, but his blushes were spared a couple of minutes later when George McEachran scored and Norwegian striker Brian Fiabima added a second in stoppage time. The aforementioned Lewis Baker featured in that game. Uh, the under-18s were involved in the Premier League Cup on Saturday. They came out on the right side of a 3-2 scoreline away to Reading. They were 2-0 down at the break, but second-half goals from Edwin Anderson, Malik Mothersilla and Lewis Flower turned the game around. It means Chelsea topped their group after winning their opening two matches, Blackburn and Derby, the other sides in that section. That'll just about do it for today's show. Liam's on nappy changing duty for the foreseeable, so no plugs from him. Uh, Dom, what else is on your agenda now that the Brentford piece has been filed? Um, I think we're going to profile Chelsea's assistant manager, Zolt Lowe, who is generally credited with a lot of Chelsea's solid defensive work. Um, we'll give that a go and see if it comes out. And then we'll obviously have to react to the embarrassing 1-0 home defeat to Malmo midweek as well. <laughs> uh, let's hope not. Theathletic.com slash Chelsea pod, the place to go to sign up if you aren't currently a subscriber. Uh, we'll be back on Thursday. We'll react to that Malmo game. We'll look ahead to Norwich and plenty more beside. Until then, many thanks to Dom, to Liam, to Lucy and to baby Ophelia for keeping quiet for the last 45 minutes or so. Have a good week. We'll speak to you Thursday. Bye for now. The Athletic. <laughs>